0: Green Room Podcast, presented on the Handshake Media Network. I'm your host, Neil Griffiths. Thanks for listening to this episode. Hope you're doing well. This is almost a throwback of sorts because this great man came on the podcast as the first Green Room guest. We obviously rebranded the, the podcast from the music podcast to the Green Room last May. He was the first guest on, and I'm rapt right to having back Australian legend Jimmy Barnes. Came on the podcast to talk about his new book, Killing Time. Uh, which is a series of short stories, true short stories of his life. Some are almost crazy to believe. Um, everything from from personal battles to really light and upbeat stories, like getting a haircut in Thailand. Um, there's a bit of everything. In this one, obviously, people who have read Jimmy's books in the past. Um, it's it's very dark about his upbringing. There is a little bit a little bit of that in there. Um, but yeah, this is a—it's a really cool book. I think everyone will get something out of it. So Jimmy came on the podcast. We recorded this probably a week or two ago, even, um, to talk about all about the book, which is out tomorrow, October seven. Um, we spoke about potential new music, a potential new supergroup he's working on, and you may have seen in the old papers or website to be more specific about what's going on with Cold Chisel. Um, Jimmy. I'm not going to spoil it for you if you haven't read it, but we spoke about cultures or the future of cultures and what we should or should not be expecting from the band moving forward. Uh, so, without further ado, this is my chat with Jimmy Barnes on the green room. Have a listen. All right. Well, Jimmy Barnes, welcome back to the green room or the virtual green room. Welcome back to the show, man.
1: <laughs> it's virtually green here. What's going on?
0: <laughs> oh, good, Good,
1: mate. Thanks for having us back
0: yeah look, I think the uh the first time you came on the show last would have been last May. We actually was the first show we did relaunching the music podcast into the green room, and we were there to promote your the album Criminal record and yep. uh, in that chat, we spoke a little bit about potential cold chisel music since then you guys have released an album you've toured, and now yeah I didn't mind. Yeah. <laughs> and then this shit happened so. I don't know if we could have predicted this, but shit, here we are. What, a little over a year later?
1: Yeah, I know. It's been a big year when you think about it. I mean, um, I remember like doing that Cold Chisel album and the tour and finishing the tour and thinking, right, I'm going to go away for 10 weeks and have the best holiday. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to travel by train as much as I can. You know, just really romanticized. you know, what do writers do? You know, I'll get leather patches on my elbows and, <laughs> and write a book on the train. And of course, we got one leg into our trip, and and COVID had just sort of closed in around us. So, and it's just been, you know, I mean, it's it's been an absolute nightmare for most people. But I've got to I've got to say, um, as much as you know, my you know, my heart goes out to everybody who's lost loved ones and 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 the pain that it's caused and all that. Uh, on a personal level. It, I've actually sort of grown from it because it's. It, I had to come home. We couldn't. We couldn't go on with our trip because obviously everywhere we we're going to go was 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 under lockdown, mm. and uh, and it forced me to come home. And uh, it, you know, after about two weeks of being home and and writing, um, uh, I thought, oh, you know what, I'm really quite enjoying this. You know, just being home. And then then after a month, I thought, wow, it's really good. I'm really starting. And you, I just. The being forced to stay in one place um, really brought, you know, brought calm into my life. It's sort of like the bee in the jar. You know, eventually you have to stop buzzing and, and you just sit and enjoy it. Mm. And, um, and, uh, and six, seven months down the track, Jane and I are sitting here going, we, you know, we've been married for 40 years and we've never spent six months anywhere. And you know and, and even before that we were married, I never spent six months my mum moved ever like a gypsy, so I never spent six months anywhere and so this has been like a a wonderful time of just sitting and learning to just sit and live with yourself and be which has been really really great um but unfortunately it's been at such a horrible course cost to you know to so many people yeah. but um at least as uh, for me to try and find something good in it is it, that's what i that's what I've done.
0: Yeah, well, you're here to promote the book Killing Time. I, I do want to get into that in just a second, but you, you touched on it. You've been inside for six months. We're recording this podcast, what, two, just over two weeks out from the release of the book. You do have yeah. three shows coming up to, to, <laughs> to brag about three shows, three live genuine hand to God. Is a is a pretty insane thing. How excited are you to get back onto the stage?
1: Well, you know, to, to do that. The first the first one we got coming up was on the on the 26th in Darwin. And that's this the next weekend in Darwin. Mm. And to do it, I had to Because my band live all over the place, I had to get um, uh, my piano player and a stand-in because we weren't going to be doing any shows. So my son Jackie, who lives in Queensland, is is touring Queensland with Russell Morris at the moment. So so I didn't want to grab, you know, know, pull the carpet out from underneath Russell. So I had to find another drummer. So I got Warren Trout and and Clayton Dolly, my piano player, both have come down to the Highlands out of Sydney, which is because Sydney's a hotspot. You see, you can't go to Darwin from Sydney. So uh, it's a hotspot. Uh, so they came down here for two weeks, and we've been in here just you know playing music and writing songs and and doing all that sort of stuff. And then uh, Friday we fly to Darwin, play a show Saturday, get off the stage, jump on a plane, and fly back out again. So it's and it's going to be really unusual because not only have we not done a show, but but we haven't done you know we haven't I've sang I've sang every night of course, but 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 not sort of thirty-five songs, and and not in thirty-five degree heat. So you know. <laughs> you could see that there could be sort of you know collapsing on stage up there but but we've been we've been doing training we've been okay and then, and then, we've got a couple of shows in Lazots and Newcastle's, yeah. which is a a small show. It's, it's normally a, a, a little room that holds about two, two or three hundred people. What, dinner shows, and and it's really great and intimate. And you know, Brian is, is Diesel's brother, so um, so um, we do go and do that. But this is for a limited audience of about sixty a night, and and we're actually um, you know, they can we're live streaming it. So or in my case, live streaming it. Uh, so it's, <laughs> so it's just it's it's an un, we're, we're finding new ways to get out and play.
0: I know you said recently as well that you think regardless of when COVID ends, the the simple concept of touring will be changed. What do you mean by that? Like, do you think that live stream shows, for example, will be a regular feature moving forward?
1: Well, I, I think it's a good thing to do. I mean, I mean, just like Zoom. I mean, as as much as you know, it's obviously so much better to be in the room and talking face to face with someone. But if you're if you're trying to do, you know, this is this is so much more personal than than doing a, a phoner and and you know and having this you know shitty voice you can hardly understand on the phone. We can sit and it can we can react to each other. So as the, as the Zoom sort of uh, interview and meeting has sort of reinvented you know business and meetings i think the shows you know for people who you know when you when you sell out a show and and there's people who just maybe for whatever reason they got children you know they got young children or they're 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 looking after people or they they're they're living on a farm somewhere they don't get to go to shows i think i think these these stream live streaming shows are going to become a, a way a step forward and not out of not out of the necessity because of lockdown, but out of out of the, the need to see live music and support live music. It'll be a good way to support live music. I think it'll be it'll be a long time before, you know, real touring as such. Uh, well, I don't know if it's ever going to get back the way it was. But you know, because people are going to, you know, you have to be more careful. Because you know, listen, we if we if we sort COVID out, you know, these these things are you know are going to pop up. You know, there's been SARS and swine flu, and you know, you name it, they come regularly. We're just going to have to learn, you know, how you know, you know. I don't know if it's healthy to be in confined spaces with with thirty thousand people, you know, all day, all the time. So I think you know, it's it's a bit of a change and. And I think you know there'll be periods where we do have to revert to this, and we just hopefully we can learn and find ways to do the shows and make them more personal every time. I mean, I, I did a, I did a corporate show from my lounge room, <laughs> yeah, that, which was bizarre. It just they asked me to do this corporate show for Post Office, and uh, and basically there was their, it was their conference, and they're all on screens, and then my my daughter and her, and her husband Ben, who plays guitar in my band. They 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 just they did all the technical stuff and I just sat there and suddenly we're on our couch and playing five songs, and it was so strange. But it, but it was it was sort of because of, because every night Jane and I have been t- doing songs you know for Facebook and Instagram and stuff. It was sort of an extension of that, which has even in the isolation become a very personal thing for us because we know that people were the people we're communicating with out there. And I just think music is changing and it's going to change. And I don't know if we'll ever go back to the way it was.
0: Do you think because Australia, I mean, in the scheme of things is doing a lot better than some other countries are, do you think that the policymakers are doing the best job they can? Do you think there's anything that music fans in Australia could be doing or should be doing to help support the acts who really are struggling right now because there are no live gigs?
1: Well, I, th- I think, you know, I think obviously, you know, even, even all, all the premiers and, you know, it doesn't matter who, who you vote for politically in this country. I think they're all trying their the hardest, you know, they're all trying the best to do, you know, maybe they're not doing, you know, the, the greatest job and everything, but they're certainly all trying their best. Um, I think, you know, there's things, you know, job seeker and job keeper and all that sort of stuff, which have really helped a lot of families and a lot of businesses, you know, keep their heads above water, which, you know, uh, I think, you know, cutting them out too soon could, could cause a lot of problems. But I think there's a lot of people who slip through the cracks with that too, um, uh, casual workers, uh, and in the music business, you know, particularly there's a lot of people who just, you know, you know, get, pick up casual work and, and who do it on a regular basis. You know, they you know, whether they drive the trucks, whether they're loaders, whether they sell the, the t-shirts, whether they, you know, uh, you know, uh, drive the bands around, whether they, you know, selling popcorn at the shows or outdoors or whatever. There's a lot of people just in the immediate music industry that I know who, who didn't, uh, qualify for that. Uh, you know and it's it 's tough for them to suddenly have nothing that they can do to make money you know there 's there's other other there 's other members of crews i know I know guys you know were making road cases who literally went went okay we 'll make something else and they 're making toys or or traveling boxes or something like that for other people um, but uh but it 's been tough it 's a tough thing, and a lot of musicians who you know who you know you know they, they, these days unless there's very few people who sell a lot of records now, um, enough records to make a career out of. You know, records are more of a promotional tool. Uh, and so a lot of my friends, and um, you know, uh, make make their living by playing live. And, uh, and to have rooms, well, it doesn't matter if you're playing a 300-seater room or a 10,000-seater room, to have that suddenly cut to quarter capacity, it makes it very hard to make ends meet. Uh, you know, if, if, a, if a performer like myself, who, if we were going out and doing summer shows where well, we played 10 or 15,000 people and we can only play two, it means, you know, that the, the, something has to give, whether it's the size of production or the, the amount of members in the band, or, the, you know, you, you do have to cut corners to make it work. And that means that the, the bands you know struggle to you know you know in saying that you know you can you can get out and do a great show with acoustic guitar many people have proved that but the audiences don't get the same effect the same experience the big, the big grand production because it's just going to be hard to make ends meet to to, to for promoters to be able to afford to put you know you know, so many lights that you know blames it blames us you know, the, the the audience. It's just gonna to be tough.
0: Yeah, I mean you're you're also booked to play Bluesfest in April next year. Yep. Fingers crossed we can go ahead with that, right?
1: Well, I hope so. I hope so. And I noticed there's a there's a bunch of overseas acts on there. Um Patty Smith, I
0: think, and all that. Patti sort Smith, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah and i just don't know how those acts are going to get out there you know i don't know if you know i I don't know if bands like from america you know i mean they're big bands but i don't know whether they can afford to bring you know 30 or 40 touring personnel across Mm. and sitting in in, uh, isolation for two weeks i don't know how that will work um uh, but you know hopefully hopefully some of the bands are going to come isolate and then tour here, stay here for, for months, and we, we might get to see some really great shows. As You know, you know normally the, those those side shows around a festival like the Blues Fest are some of the greatest things on, on in town. So if they're staying here longer and, and, and it's almost forced to stay longer and play more shows, it can only be good for the punters.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, we better talk about I'm Killing Time.
1: Well, but I am looking forward to Blues Fest. It's going to be great.
0: Right. Fingers well, crossed. I, I know I've got to talk about Killing Time because it is why you're here. Um, yeah. So first of all, before we get into it, just take me back through what we caught up last May was killing mm-hmm. time something you were already writing in that stage was it already conceived
1: uh, yeah it was it was sort of conceived I was I knew I was going to write some short stories um, yeah. because I, I just had an idea well, but at that point though, I didn't realize—I I didn't realize what what it would turn out like because I was—I was—I was, I just knew I had some some story. I love short stories, you know. I mean, I'll show you what I'm, I'm reading this at the moment, you know, like Truman Capote short stories, um, yeah. you know. I just think you can pick them up, you know, anywhere at any time of the day, and and sit and have a read, you know, and then you put it down and pick it up three months later, and you haven't lost it. And, uh, so I like the idea of short stories. And I think you can, it's sort of, uh, you know, I, going from a songwriter to, uh, to writing um, the, the memoirs was a big jump because, you know, it's a whole new way of telling, you know, and, and telling a story. It's a long form. This is somewhere in between where you can get to a punchline quick. You can, it's like hitting, you know, having a chorus almost, you know, you can hit the chorus quick and, you know, um, but I, I wrote. I started off writing this, thinking these were just a bunch of you know like anecdotes about you know what you do on the downtime, because you know as musicians and you know as you, as you probably well know, we spend much more time killing time than we do making music. You know, we, we're always traveling. You know, and I, I, I sort of wanted to make a connection for the partners too. People think that the music business is, is totally glamorous, and you're all you know. And in some places it is, but most in most cases it's about schlepping about and and digging deep and 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 getting to it so you can get up on stage and spend a couple hours connecting with an audience those two hours are the glamorous section of this of the of the life because that's the time when you get to look eye in, to eye and into an audience's eyes and actually make a connection and and possibly make some great music that's when you make the best music the rest of the time is all just trying to get to that so we spend a lot of time killing time so i thought there'd be a lots of little stories that people could you know could talk about in the downtime fill in the gaps between and and in the process of doing it though i realised. That all these stories are sort of related and, and sort of part of that same journey of growth and uh, and that you know not as dark as possibly as the other two books but but you know it's part of the same you know there's things that I realise that relate back to to uh, working class boy I mean there's a story in there called a broken homecoming right it's, a, it's called a broken homecoming uh-huh. and it's about Elizabeth where I, where I grew up and and in the first book I wrote. I wrote because uh, I, I had such a horrible part of my life was spent in Elizabeth because of abuse and and violence and you know all that stuff and you know you know sexual abuse you name it, and so I used to go back to Elizabeth regularly to try and sort of sort it out and, and see if I could learn something from it. And every time I went back, it was always doom and gloom, and I just felt oppressed. And and since writing the the first two books, I've sort of let a lot of that go. And I, and I'm and I and I went back there recently before this book and i was there and and i was standing opposite the house where all this shit happened to me and and i remember standing there and and what normally would just overwhelm me with with dread and and, and lack of you know faith and all that sort of stuff suddenly didn't didn't and, and I started to just, it was like, I could almost go back and hear the voices from my childhood, you know, when, you know, when we were kids running wild through there, you know? And you know even though all the shit was going on with us, we were just like, we were out there playing ninjas or something, you know, running wild and having fun. Or when I'm walking with my brother, when I'm tra- w- looking up to my brother and want to be just like him and stuff like that. So suddenly standing in the, in the, in the very place that meant the worst thing in the world to me, I felt a hope and I felt like connection. And so, so it's sort of, in a lot of ways, this book sort of, you know, takes it's sort of full circle again, and goes and goes back to to sort of, you know, connects the stories and joins the dots, the missing the missing pieces.
0: That's what I was. That was my next question. Was those first two books you showed a lot about yourself, what happened growing Mm. up, what happened in your personal life? In this third book, obviously, there's it's not as deep as you said. There is some some grittier stories. Mm -hmm. Um, Revisiting that this time around was it as confronting for you as you said was it more of a cathartic thing were you able to look back at it and think oh Ah. this is you've come a long way
1: well, the, the the thing is, the process of writing for me is always a, a bit a bit of a you know I always learn something. I mean, when I wrote those first books, I didn't go sit down and go, oh, I'm just going to really confront this. I started writing and then sort of things came out, and, I, and I'd remember more things, and I'd write more things, and and it was sort of like an it was like me. I was learning about my past, the past that I ran from, as, as much as as much as a reader when they got it. As I was writing, I was going, oh shit, I remember this now, you know. Uh, this book. Uh, that sort of happens too, in a way, you know, like I'll be writing a story Oh, you know, by you know, telling, you know, I remember the, the story I was sitting in 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 North Sydney, at, uh, Jane's parents apartment, and somebody committed suicide. And it was midnight and I was stoned. And I've been watching, you know, bloody, you know, Shogun or something on TV. And it was all about, you know, <laughs> samurais committing suicide and stuff. And suddenly I heard this dull thud. And I looked out the window, and there was a guy on the floor, and jumped out of a five-story building or something. And I ran down in the middle of the night. It was, it wasn't mobile phones, and I and I and I, I knew he was dead. And I and I had James calling an ambulance, and I sat and I sat with him for like twenty minutes and held his hand and you know spoke to him and just I didn't want his spirit to be alone anymore because he'd been alone so so long. And I and I was writing that because it was just. Cause it was just, i remember it was and the, the story was about life as a butterfly's dream you know the japanese commitment and 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 i'm going why did and i just watched it and then I'm, why did you do that mate and and then when i'm re- writing it which is you know 30 years after it happened i suddenly realized why it, why i remembered the story and why it why it meant so much to me because i was it was so close to what i was anyway it was it was like a it was like a snapshot of what i was becoming before i even got there and and so there's this story which is it's a dark story but but in the end it was like a window into my own soul and um and it really um uh, you know all these stories have things that are pointing to the things lessons that i should have learned quicker or and lessons that and eventually i did pick up on but but i didn't realize that at the time you know meeting rosa parks you know when i when i when i there's a story about me meeting with rosa parks and rosa You know, I'm. You know, I, I, I just. You know, I was in the thick of of drug abuse and 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 alcoholism and and just the world was falling down around me. And then I sat five feet across the table from Rosa Parks while she told her story to this big group of you know really deep thinking people. And I was sitting there and I was watching her, and and I realized what courage was. And I realised what you know strength was and what race was, and and she was. It wasn't about anger. It was just about courage to stand up and say this is going to change. And then uh, you know, and and at the time I was just like, was it was beautiful. But I didn't realise that that what I was going to need in my life was courage. You know, that that's these were all lessons that were all just the life world has a way of sort of showing you these things. And eventually, if you join the dots, it'll make it make sense and it'll connect for you. And that's what sort of this book is. is a lot of that in there.
0: Mm. the the story that i really responded to was the the one about you in la and you're in the studio with don and you go get some money out for 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 drugs and alcohol yeah if you read that story really every fifth to sixth line you're reiterating the point that you're after booze and drugs yeah is that you reminiscing on that story looking at now being self-aware of that's what you wanted or is that what you were thinking in that moment the whole time
1: at the time i was at at the time i didn't want to feel anything I did, you know, Don Don who's who's a dear friend, a great producer, had been through a lot in his life, and he was a very calm, and he was trying to make me think and make me make me feel, and I, and I didn't want to feel. I just I would go to L.A. and I I was like just you know crazed, and and I would just be smashed, and I'd be smashed all the time. I was like that wherever I was, really, but particularly in Los Angeles. And I remember that day. It was just like every other day. I just wanted to get, you know, go and buy a bottle of vodka, and 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 wait for the drug dealer to get out of fucking bed. So. I, <laughs> <laughs> so that I could see. Lazy and, uh, yeah they're lazy bastards they never get up early enough you know um and, and um and and that's what i was doing and i went there to get money and just on the way there was this this old lady sitting under a tree and it was like a, a shabby little tree and it was hot as hell and she was just trying to get some shade and i remember i was just i wanted to get out she said excuse me sir or whatever you know and I, i'm just I, I i didn't even notice her at first then i then i stopped and she just, I had this look in her eye, and she just, she seemed like a you know decent sort of person, just sitting lonely. And she said, and I was wanting to give her some money so I could keep moving because I was too concerned about getting drunk and 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 you know wanting to make sure I didn't miss the drug dealer when he got up. And I didn't have any so I went I said look I haven't got anything I've got to go and I walked up to the, the shop and I got I went to the ATM and I got, I got money and I got a bottle of vodka and I'm walking back and then I seen her again and she smiled at me again and and so I just thought you know I've got to stop I've got to you know the can't. I can't ignore this person so I, was, I was squatted down so because she was looking up in the sun and I squatted down and I sat and talked to her and it was just this story of this woman who, she had everything, you know, she had a beautiful life and, and family and all that. And her husband died and and didn't do his will and all sorts sort of stuff. And the kids fought over it. And she ended up, she's on the street with nothing. And she used to be like an art teacher. She was, you know, she was had a whole life and now she's, she was there. And so I sat and I was talking to her for a while and I realized she was selling paintings. She had, she had like, the lids, the the paper off off like um, soup cans and and all this sort of stuff and and bits of cardboard. She'd ripped off boxes because she, she obviously couldn't afford art supplies. And she'd painted little paintings on them. And I said, "Ah, oh, give me a couple, you know." Um, and and she and she wouldn't take any money. And then and then finally, I was sitting up talking to her, and 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 she said, she she didn't mind being you know, homeless and losing everything because it was just stuff. She said, the thing that hurt that hurts the most is that you know, she'd lost her humanity, that nobody nobody, nobody spoke to her anymore. She was just in the way. And she said, I just, you know, you're, you're the first person who sat and actually spoke to me. I sat with her for about half an hour, 40 minutes. And she said, you're the first person that spoke to me since I've been on the street. And, and she said, I don't want your money. And I said, in fact, I want all your paintings. And I, and I gave her 500 bucks or something. And, and, and she's going, Oh, you don't you don't have to, give me so much. And I just felt, fuck, you know, this is me. I was getting, you're going to get hammered and, you know, just feeling sorry for myself. And this is someone who's, you know, once again, it's like life coming by to just show you what fuck up, what a fuck up you are. And so I just, I seen and I thought that's this, you know, I, and, and that day I gave her all my money away. So I went in and I didn't buy drugs. I couldn't afford to buy any drugs till the next day. But, um, but, but, but it was it was a little thing i never forgot the look in her eye and just that thing about you've given me so much you know and i thought fuck you know but how, how lucky am i you know
0: Re- reading that um, story though is there not a part of you that then can think there is some hope for you i mean the simple fact is you stopped and however long you spoke with her for and then you gave away what you were going to use that for
1: well, yeah, but you know, but just because it was, yeah, that was, it wasn't, it wasn't that was hope for me because I, the next day I did the same thing again. Uh, but, but it was, it was that, that glimpse of, of humanity, a glimpse of hope, glimpse of, 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 of truth, you know, and, and all the way through life, you know, you do get these, if you, if you, if you have can notice them sometimes you're wallowing so much in your own self pity you don't even see them you know and sometimes they come and smack you in the face i mean the, the, there's the other one in la where i walked into the, the the tarot card reader you know literally that was that was just such there was two doors like right next to each other one went to a bottle shop and i was so out of it i walked in the wrong door and i was inside this tarot card reading shop and this gypsy woman's buddy saying somebody's trying to kill you and I'm going yeah I know it's me <laughs> you know but it was like it was literally it hit me in the face you know like you're just like sliding doors you walk in and bang there you are and suddenly you're confronted with you know we know what's wrong with you and 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 it just and it just drives the point on and and believe me all these lessons that I learned I didn't suddenly suddenly okay I'm okay now I'm I'm clear these were just when I started to take steps to to look at my past to go through um all the issues that I had and believe me I had a lot of them these were all things that came up as little little beacons little markers showing me that you know there was times there was all the way through there was there was hope and there was light and there was lessons to be learned and I just have to be aware and be open enough to to receive them
0: Mm. What are you taking away from this book in particular? Obviously, with those first couple, it's it's a massive weight of your shoulders. You're shining a light on something you've never spoken about before and letting a lot of people in. This book obviously has a has a couple of dark stories and a, a lot of light ones as well. What are you yeah, yeah. taking away from it having having now writing this and then now it's out in the world?
1: Well, you know, I think I think I write, I'm writing stories about you know stuff that I, you know I think it's it's you know. We, you know, whereas before the the, story, the the book the the, the memoirs were so it was so much that i was about my life and you know there was and it connected with other people this is much more about about how much we have in common you know the stupid things you know like you know uh you know you know uh getting a haircut in Thailand and not be able to speak the language, you know, just things that people, stupid things that people do. And yeah, you know, and when it curly hair and it fucking ends up like a, like an Afro and, you know, just, you know, just ridiculous things. We have so much in common and little things in common, you know, like, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, the, 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 um, the flowers on the bridge, you know, everybody must see them every day and everyone must have different thoughts about them. There's this, I drive over on the highway to Sydney and there's flowers tied on the bridge with a massive drop into a gorge. And um, and they started popping up there about eighteen months ago, and uh, and uh, and every day every day I drive past, I see them and it my heart breaks because I think something bad's happened. Some you know I don't know what I don't know what it is either, but but I just think that you know everybody who drives across that bridge because the flowers are changed twice a week, which means somebody is sadly missed or somebody really cares, and and I just and I think I just think you know if it affects me, it must, it must affect so many other people who've had loss or pain. Or lack lots of hope in their lives, and they must see that, and 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 we all just make up our own story of whatever's happened there. But it all, but it affects all of us. I just think uh, with this book, I'm just trying to sort of connect, you know, on a on a human human level to to you know, but just we are we're all sharing the same fucking road, yeah. You
0: know? <laughs> mm. Is, it, is it, Are there going to be some un- uncomfortable calls when this book comes out as well? With one of the stories I'm talking about is uh, you being talked into doing the full Monty for charity. Is oh, right, uh,
1: always uncomfortable.
0: Does, does does he know that you didn't want to do like? Does Rachel, when she reads, oh yeah, him, be like, oh shit? Nah, they, no,
1: they know. I told oh, them. Yeah. I told them. I was. I was like, yeah, you're fucking because because when I when she asked me, I said, oh God, no, oh, Jimmy, would you please do the full monitor for me? And I'm like, I'm, 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 yeah, yeah, no worries. I'll come over and do it now. You know, <laughs> and, you know, just uh, just joking. And 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 Brian and Rachel were mates, you know. So uh, I I told him, I said, you are a not I, you know, I told about want to put fucking clothes on. I don't want to take them off. You know? <laughs> and uh, and they know how hard it was. And, and it was. And Rachel, Rachel said, like I said in the story, Rachel and Brian came over to get the photo. sign at the end, they said, "We don't know how you did it." You know, somehow there was, uh, you know, n- news crews, TV crews, uh, cameras. The room was full of bloody cameras. And there's not one photo of you in your entirety. I kept sort of ducking, ducking, and weaving behind things, you know. She goes, "I don't know how you did it." You know, so they knew how I did whatever. So there's, no, and I actually rang brian about when I was writing the story just to double check on a few dates because it was all a bit blurry as, as we're many decades.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the other one was the Kieran J. Callinan story. Um, you got to open up to a whole new generation with that song, and I love the fact yeah. that you wrote in that book. Kieran started to push his luck a little bit there when he kept asking yeah. something else.
1: Yeah, well, you know, but you know, Kieran, Kieran's a great—he's a great lad, I reckon. You know, he's—he's, he's, I mean, I mean, he really pushes the boundaries. You know, he really, and I, I like the fact—you know—he's a performance artist. You know, he—he um, he, um, that when he asked me to do that, you know, it was just I, I did it because he was a mate of EJ, my daughter's, and Ellie May's. And, um, uh, and I said, yeah, yeah, no worries, Kieran. I, you know, I knew his dad was in the rads, you know, in the radiators. Uh, so, um, so I said, yeah, okay. And, and he sent me the track and it was, and I remember there were my, my engineer at the time, Ben, he was just going, oh, I don't know if you like this track. And I'm like, nah, that's okay. I don't mind. I'll have a And He just wants me to scream. So I just screamed like a banshee for a couple of seconds and I sent it back to him and I didn't hear any more about it until suddenly it was on, talk shows in America and, you know, and, and so, and before, I think it's had a hundred million views or something, something Ridiculous on, on YouTube. It's wow, ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. Either it's not just a video, the video and the memes. Wow. So, you know, there's memes, there's memes everywhere of me. And, and all these kids, like, like I said, I got stopped in, in the street in Thailand, you know, where, I, where I, nobody ever recognized me. Cause I'm just another whitey walking around there, you know? And, uh, and uh, these kids were like, oh, you know, and they held it up with this photo of the, the, the screaming cowboy. And I, they, that's they, me, <laughs> but, but it's just, you know, it's, you know, and I'd spent, I'd spent sort of, you know, since 1979 cultures or first went to America, America is the mecca for, for music. You know, it was the, the biggest market in the world. And, if, you know, you break in there, you can, know, that's it, you know, that's a, the that's a place. But I, I couldn't even make a dent in the place. I didn't want to spend enough time there because it scared the shit out of me anyway, mm. but, uh, but I didn't even make a dent with all my music. But Kieran got to a hundred million people there.
0: <laughs> oh, whatever. Yes, sorry, that's fine.
1: Yeah, it's really good. That's great.
0: What is it about America and specifically you say in the book, LA, you think LA is a death trap. That's an actual quote. Why?
1: Well, I just said something about the energy in the place. You know, I mean, just so many people go there with a desperation, you know, they're going to be a star, you know, I want to be a star, um, you know, and I, I've never been in music to be famous you know I, I, you know when people ask me to do be a celebrity you know oh can you be this i'm not a celebrity i'm a fucking singer you know um and so so there's something about that energy there and people go there desperate to become famous or escape something and 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 you know and you see them they're all working you know you get driven in the limos and people give you scripts that they've written or hey yeah I'm an extra you know I'm a guitar player you know um, here's my demos you know everywhere you go the fucking bouncers on the door give you demos you know the, the 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 girl who's you know been serving in the in the diner for forty years you know still waiting for a break in the movies you know uh, and it's just sort of desperation and I don't feel comfortable there and then to, you know to make things worse you know when I was going a lot it was I was in the in the thick of you know drunken and uh, drug taking days and drugs were particularly cheap there. So, so it was always, always scary because, you know, I kept thinking, Fuck, you know, you could easily just disappear in the wormhole.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said you're not a celebrity. You're a singer. How close are you then to doing the Masked Singer? Season three is confirmed.
1: Uh, well, I'm a singer who, who's not a celebrity, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, you know, I, really? I, 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 I keep looking. I've I seen it. one time. Jane and I flicked past it. We watched it one night. to just see what it was. And it's just ridiculous. But, you know, there's some good singers on there, but you know, look what they're fucking wearing. You know, <laughs> you know, I didn't wear that in the '80s. <laughs> shoulder pads than we had in the '80s. Yeah. But, you know, I ask. I know, but I, you know, listen. I, I, I appreciate that people are in the business to make you know a living and do all that. But, but I've spent forty years, you know, singing. And not being a celebrity. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to, I don't, I'm, you know, I, I try I to talk to young kids when, to, you know, when, when they ask me about music and stuff, you know, they want, like, oh yeah, you just want to do this. I just want to be so famous and this and that. And I'm going, well, it's not really the idea. You'll get really good, and, you know, and you can do that. And you can be famous and you can all that shit, but you're not really, it's not going to make you happy unless you're, unless you're being fulfilled as well. I think if go out there and make music you love. Go out there and make music that, that means something to you. Go out there and connect with, with people on an emotional level. And if you can make money doing it as well, great. But if you don't, at least you're still doing, you're still connecting. And that's, that's going to give you more joy in the long run than, than trying to be, you know, just on TV and fame sort of comes and goes too quick, you know, and people... Give up too much to be famous, uh, you know. When you see people, you know, doing anything, you know, that you go, oh, "It's ridiculous. What are you fucking doing that for?" You know, mm. um, uh, just to be famous. And and I, you know, I don't. And and I, God, good luck to everybody who does it. But I, you know, I don't want to be on the mass singer. I don't want to be fucking dancing with stars. I don't want to be fucking, you know. I'm a celebrity. Like, give
0: me out of here. That's another one
1: you know whether they asked me to be a judge in the voice and i just said no i music is not a competition like you know? now said, now you mean or like that,
0: years ago oh uh, this
1: is a while ago a while ago and i'm saying you'd have to pay me 10 million dollars and and you know and i'd have to be able to say anything i fucking wanted because i'm not going to pull punches this is a serious fucking business you know yeah. and they were like oh i don't know about this <laughs> <laughs> you know because really it's uh, i just i, I just it's you know, I just, I, I, I couldn't sit there and give people bad advice and say, yeah, yeah, you know, wear the stupid outfit and you'll, you know, you'll be famous. Yeah, you know, I'd have to be honest with them and say, look, you might not fucking make it, guys, but I hope you've had a good time doing this. Enjoy singing, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, that'd yeah. be my, that'd be most of the advice I'd give, you know? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, talking about music, last time we, we did this, you were promoting my criminal record and writing Cold Chisel music. Fast forward, mm-hmm. what, 14, 15 months? Are you working on new solo music? Is there going to be more Cold or music on the way?
1: Uh, I don't know if there's any Cold chisel music on the way. I've got a feeling we might be done, but never say never. You know, in a few years, maybe we'll get together again. I've just re-recorded um, a track from the last Cold chisel album, uh, the song Killing Time, mm-hmm. which, which, which was the title track for this book because uh, the lyrics in that, in that song that I wrote really meant a lot to me. And, and I've recorded that track with the uh, ACO, Australian Chamber Orchestra, oh, wow. with Richard okay. Getty. Yep. And it's just phenomenal so i've got 've got a track that I've done which is coming out in the next week or so, uh, which i'll get to you i'll make sure they get to you um, and uh and in the process, i'm in the process of recording i've been doing every night for the last seven months, Jane and I have sort of nearly every night have done songs, just you know everything from the Carpenters to bloody Doris Day you know we've sang just with acoustic guitars and and just had fun singing songs and and once again it's you know loads of people have sort of watched them and they're just and you know I haven't done it to you know once again I'm not doing it to to sort of stay in the public eye I'm doing it to make a connection with people for people who are you know who are trapped in their home and and it's just a way of making music and 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 connecting with people and uh, and a lot of people have really liked and really just like the idea but so and I've been we're jokingly we've been calling it the Jane Barnes band because you know it's Jane started playing guitar six months ago and she's getting really good now. And um, and so um, maybe we might record a couple of those songs because so people have been asking if they can get them and just, uh, just be a little cover thing just you know something something fun to do. But in the meantime I'm writing songs and uh, I've got, I've, you know I've got some songs that I'm, I've half written with Troy Cassidy Daily. Um, you know I've sent some lyrics to Don Walker that will you know we'll get together soon and do some writing. Uh, I reckon I'll have, a, I've also started, I've got a few things going. actually, I'm glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've also, we've also no, all started, pull, pull the secrets. Because, of, because of COVID, we've we, we had to do things remotely. And, and at the moment, we're trying to make a rockabilly record uh, with Slim Jim Phantom from the Stray Cats. Yeah. He, he's doing his drums in LA, Chris Cheney in Melbourne, and myself up here. So we're trying to do like a rock and roll trio, uh, rockabilly songs, some original, some covers.
0: Wow. How's so that,
1: that that's, on? Sort of on, that's on the go at the moment as well.
0: You're recording already or you've just been having a couple of jams? Just started.
1: Just, start, just started.
0: Okay. So, so we-
1: we'll, send track, we'll send tracks to Slim Jimmy. He'll put drums on. his center send back. Chris will put guitars on. He'll send and me. I'll, I'll start, you know, doing vocals. We've, we only get the first track on the road now. Right. So we hope to get that done in the next, you know, three or four months.
0: Do you expect any album?
1: If COVID breaks, we'll get together into one room and, and do yeah. it face-to-face.
0: Yeah. I, was gonna say that. So I doubt any album before the end of 2020, though, right?
1: Yeah, no, I don't think so. No.
0: Okay. And with chisel, when you say done, do you just mean you you're done writing your music or
1: No, I think but I think we I think we've put it put it to bed for a while, you know. I mean we've been we've been touring since nineteen seventy three. Uh, you know, it takes a lot to wind cold chisel up. You know, we get together for, for one show and we have to rehearse for three weeks, you know? Uh, just you know to get the band back to that where we communicate properly and all that sort of stuff so it takes a lot to get up ahead of steam uh you know there's a you know maybe there's more of a chance that we might make a record but i I don't know if we're ever going to go out and do like a major tour as Mm. such it could be the odd gig here and there you know for for special events or for you know special occasions but um i don't see i don't see coaches doing a major tour ever again and that's not. We mean we love each other, and and we finished, when we finish. We're playing great. It's just so hard and so time-consuming and emotional to get it all up and running while we're while you know um you know writing and, and making three records a year of my own and and Mossy's touring and Don's doing this and you know so it's very difficult. It's all in one place.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully, we hear something very soon. Um, yeah. Jimmy, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate your time. No, and, um, no worries. My pleasure. Look <laughs> <laughs> with the book, October 7th. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, man, we can't wait. Yep, all the best. Jimmy, thanks so much. Appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Green Room Podcast with Neil Griffiths, and thank you to Jimmy Barnes for coming back on for the second time. If you want to listen to the episode or more episodes of The Green Room, head to thepodcast.com.au and click on the Green Room tab. Jimmy Barnes' book, Killing Time, is out on October 7th, so tomorrow. If you are listening to this past October seven, it's out right now, so go get it. Thank you again for listening, and I'll talk to you very soon. by Zig Parker and the Handshake Media Network.